You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Handicast, the podcast within Disability After Dark, where my sister Heather Morrison and I, Drew Gerza, sit down and talk to you about our new venture, Handy, and our all the cool things we're doing around our sex toy with that. But today, we wanted to talk about how Handy is getting some attention in the media, and how we're really excited about that, and we wanted to explore how media representation of people with disabilities is being handled in the media and how sometimes that isn't super great. So we sat down with our friend and a reporter at Nine Honey, an Australian media site, Nine Honey, our friend Bianca Famarcus, who sits down with us and she is an associate producer there. And we talk all things disability and media. And we really answer the question, how do we make disability media and or disability in the media more prominent and how do we talk about ableism in the media and how do we do all that stuff. We kind of touch on the the controversy with Sia right now and we provide, we have a conversation with Heather around tips and tricks on how to call people in versus calling people out and why it's important to, um, why it's important to have these conversations around ableism in the media and how Sometimes they're super fucked, but it's important to work together to change people's viewpoints so that our media consumption of disabled people is much more inclusive. So that's what the episode is today, and enjoy our episode of The Handicast, all about media, right now on the show. Hello, everybody. This is the episode of the Handicast, a podcast within the Disability After Dark podcast where Heather and I sit down and tell you a little bit about our sex toy project, Handy. So today, we are going to be talking a little bit about media representation and disability. And to do that, we're sitting down with Bianca Marcus, who is an associate producer with Nine Honey, right? That's right? Yes, that is correct. Hello. Hi, so nice to have you on the Handicast today. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Very, very, um, I, I have no idea what to expect, to be honest. I'm so used to asking questions, and now here we are, answering well, mm-hmm. the table. Yes, yeah, you get to just relax and be on the other side of the table. I um, <laughs> so I think, first off, can you kind of let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do at Nine Honey and how, and like, well, what your day today as a producer is there? Ooh, okay. Um, this is a very good question because I often ask myself this, but I am, I guess, a reporter at Nine Honey is what you'd call me. So I work across digital, online, um, not speaking too well. And then I also um, have my own column, which is dedicated to sex education and sexuality, which is called the Unsealed Section. And it's a little bit of pride and joy for me because it started off um, basically inspired by all the magazines like I read growing up being like, oh my God, like, you know, you'd rip open a tab and you'd see like these little sneaky things and learn all this salacious gossip about what your sex life will be like. And then (laughs) You know, yeah, literally, <laughs> me when I was 15. And then growing up, I really realized that I just 
why should this be like such a hush hush topic and secondly why should this even be a topic that's purely about like how to please someone or anything like there was absolutely no information on a public domain where it was just speaking about sex and sexuality as if it was like Oh, must be her internet connection because ours is still okay. Oh, that cut out massively, didn't Andrew? Yeah, you were saying some really great stuff and then you froze for a minute. Oh, did I? Damn it. Okay, hang on. My internet connection has been a bit weird today. Where like right as you were launching into your diatribe too. (laughs) Oh no! Okay, should I? Where should I take it from? I mean, I can ask the question again. I'm a, I'm a shit editor, so I'll do my best to splice it in, but I don't know what we'll get, so it might just be, there was a weird moment of lag there, listen to this. Um, but I'll try. So, I don't know what I asked you. Um, Who am I? <laughs> yeah, so, so, so you were saying that you had, you know, you were opening those magazines and you weren't really seeing, you know, you weren't really seeing a lot of the representation you wanted. Could you tell us more about that? Well, I was Conversation. Yes, I was seeing basically nothing of of interest outside, like, mild titillation. So it was just, I found, and this is the conversation that resonated amongst all my friends. We were like, we could open these magazines and, like, have a how-to, but we would never see anything that actually got into what it meant to be, like, intimate with someone, expose different emotions, expose different intersections as well of what it, like, at its core meant to be someone who was a sexual being, outside of just the idea of being, like, essentially a sex toy for someone else, if I'm going to put a blunt yeah. it. Um, and it was just also very boring after a while. And the idea of having a, a sealed section, because that's what they always were, started to really rub me the wrong way as I got older and as I recognised that, like, these covert conversations or these things that happen behind closed doors and these whispered sentiments we have when it comes to discussing sexuality and intimacy is just the inherent problem and it ripples across every aspect of our society when we just refuse to acknowledge something that is like at our function and very core of who we are as human beings like the most vulnerable state of who we are and also one of the most powerful vehicles for understanding how the body works how emotions work and how basic respect works at the end of the day yeah and how, how have you seen um so, like so, how long have you been doing this for? This I've been doing for a year now. It's it's actually coming up to a year anniversary, so it's very exciting. Um, and learned so much, so much in like amazing and wonderful respects and expanded my knowledge there. But also just some of the most hilarious conversations I've ever oh, had. I'm sure. <laughs> and um, imagine. I can imagine. Um, and so in the course of your time there, but also like since you kind of had this realization of these sealed sections and how sort of still in the shadows so much of it was, how have you seen shift take, have you seen a big shift take place and where do you think that's, that's coming from and what's, that's being driven by it? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's just because I'm in the space now, but I see all the, I guess, 
leaders in the field of sexual discourse and media representation really channeling like a whole new level of language and like really championing inclusivity. So I think particularly this year, like I've never really seen sexologists platformed as much as they have been. And they've been Mm. like powerhouses in that field because they all, what I really admire regardless of the intersections they may, you know, cover or operate within themselves they will go out of their way to always say like this is what we need to remember this is how we structure language this is why like pronouns and sexuality and conversations about these things are so important and they always bring it back to that idea of inclusivity and consent which I like really admire and I've genuinely growing up like I never heard that I wouldn't have even seen that on Instagram maybe like two years ago and then, I don't know, there's something about 2020. It's bringing out, everyone's just like, all right, we're home. We're going to have a chat. Everyone, you're up and get ready to listen. <laughs> uh, uh, one of the things that I love that you were talking about just there now, you were talking about, uh, you know, the, the covertness of sexuality and kind of just sexuality generally, how we, it's, all, it's so taboo. And that's kind of one of the things that we at Handy and kind of I in my work also have really spearheaded how it's really, really taboo there's such a connection between sex being taboo and then disability being taboo. And then when you put the two of them together, it's like, oh, my goodness, everything is taboo. So, um, and I think because of that taboo-ness, I guess you could say, one of the things we don't often see in the media is an accurate representation of sexuality and disability. Um, so as someone who kind of works in the media, you know, why, why, why can you give some, some examples, some, not examples, but some thoughts on why you think that, why you think, we're not seeing enough accurate representation of sex and disability in the media? So, yes. I can. Yes, I can, to answer your question in short. Um, I think one thing that just will continue to mystify me is that, what, one in five people in the country I'm currently in, which is Australia, like, live with a disability or operate with some form of a disability, and yet... But, I would not be able to go onto most media pages and see, like, any form of conversation. I think the key issue, firstly, one is that I I think a lot of people are just like, you know, we don't know how to talk about it, therefore we're not going to, which is, like, Mm -hmm. just the laziest form of journalism. And this actually, this is something that, like, I've always noticed because I've grown up with disability quite prevalent in my family and In one respect, that's always normalized the conversation for us. It's like not even a question whether we talk about it, whether we understand what it may look like, how, you know, different individuals' bodies may operate in this world. But it's also (laughs) built in such an ignorance with me because then I will hear someone else, like, discuss disabled bodies and just be like, are you an idiot? Like, how is that stupid (laughs) shit come out of your mouth? And then you have to think back, you're like, oh, okay, they probably – just it's like this is so far out of their mind um which you know again is like a media representation issue and I think the a really big reason of why it's I guess fallen out of the spotlight is because we either tend to focus with any minority across the board um (laughs) of like the best of the best or the absolute trials and pitfalls and tribulations and it's just like I'm really passionate about just like it's like platforming average disabled people like 
we're all average. We are actually all average human beings. And yes, everyone can accomplish things. Everyone can do bad things. But like just to just to speak to people as if like they're a human being, I cannot fathom sometimes in my work and some of the stories that I see that that is just like that's not the the main objective that you go into. I constantly get told by my editor that like I have a habit of treating people as if they're my best friend. And I'm like, well, if we're going to have a proper conversation, if we're going to, if our mission here is to talk about the truth and accurately represent things, I'm not going to go in putting anyone on a pedestal. Like we're starting at baseline, we're going in deep and ask for consent with every question before you do, because I tend to be quite provocative. Um, Yeah. Particularly (laughs) when you're talking about like sex and intimacy, it's not, you're not going to get to that sort of juicy goodness bit if you're, if you're putting someone on a pedestal, because you won't ask the questions that are really going to get into that level. Mm -hmm. But also they're not going to feel comfortable and open up to somebody about those more intimate parts of themselves that they don't feel comfortable and like you're kind of on that level, right? Like, so I guess I suppose it works both ways. It's also just the idea of like to intellectualize and professionalize my role as someone who speaks to people does have that kind of step back where you're like, okay, this is who I am as, I don't know, a suited up corporate professional. Um, and you, you can erode that sense of humanity. Like, it's not like we're walking into a boardroom and doing a business deal. We're walking into someone's, like, personal life and then having this weird interplay between you're going to speak to them on something that could possibly be one of the best, one of the worst, one of the just the most standout things that's ever happened to them. But you, you need to maintain that level of humanity, and I feel like that is so consistently lost because of this fear of, like, being seen as unprofessional. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I have my own ways of that people struggle with. Yeah. Do you think that that fear um, uh, is exacerbated when we deal with minority groups um, in terms of people's um, either putting them on a pedestal or um, not feeling as comfortable to go as deep on certain issues? Yeah, 100%. I feel like a lot of people fear just saying the wrong thing. And, I, you know, I'm not absolved of that at all. Like, I may have disability in my family, but that doesn't mean, like, I know the exact way to speak about it every single time. And I think it's just, like, you just need to get called out once, and then you're like, cool, okay, this is what learning feels like. Let's do it. Like, (laughs) we're here. It's not even even a a calling-out experience. I think it needs to be – I think it really, truly needs to be a calling-in experience. Yeah. Because if I, as a disabled person, spend my time yelling at you and telling you how wrong you are, we're not going to further the conversation. I'm not going to bring you into the experience and teach you. I'm actually shutting you out from the learning process if all I do is tell you that you're wrong. And so, like, my personal view is an, as an activist that does this work, I used to be really rah, rah, you're wrong, you're the worst, like, blah, blah. But that that got really toxic and really hard to form relationship. And so, you know, in, in part of doing what I do, I, I softened my approach a little bit and was like, okay, let me use my lived experience not to call somebody out. I mean, if they're being an asshole, I'm going to call them out. Like, <laughs> and be like, please don't do that. But if someone is genuinely trying to learn, mm. I feel like my, my, it's never my responsibility, but it is my opportunity mm. to teach somebody. And if I can take their warped worldview of disability within like two minutes or three minutes or half an hour, whatever it is, and get them to think about something in a different way without 
making them feel shame for not knowing, yeah. then I feel like that's a that's an easier thing to do than being like, fuck you, you're the worst, how dare you not know this? Like, it doesn't, that's not, that doesn't help, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. And that's just, that's also just a thing I feel like is also so lost, is the idea that, like, if you say something wrong, granted, if it's not malicious, it's not about you, it's about, like, the way you come to learn that fact and therefore if someone's going to correct you on it or teach you their perspective listen to it as if that is just like separate to the way you as a character are not like you know what I mean it's just this idea that like we want to see any disagreement with our values as like an assault and it has all that fear of then ever trying in the first place rather than just like engaging and knowing that you're never going to get everything right particularly as someone who can only ever intellectualize this. Yeah. I would love to hear from you, Bianca, with consent and love. You said you had, you've mentioned a few times you, that you've had disability in your family. Um, yeah. Can you share with us how that's, how that is and how that's impacted you? Yeah, of course. So my, I probably shouldn't say this, but he is my favorite cousin. Um, <laughs> I know he's going to listen to this and be like, I knew it. Um, he was born with spina bifida and, you know, growing up, well, when I'm about, I think, two years older than him, and growing up, like, it was just, it. you noticed it straight away, because when he was younger, he was quite a lot more visible, um, and he was obviously, that was when he was going through all his operations and corrective surgeries to kind of help him, you know, manage it and live with it far easier than he probably would have if he didn't have the operations. Right. And it's just... You just, like, having that growing up, it's just, it was never even a question that bodies may look differently. And it's something that really, you know, resonates with me when I do speak to anyone with a disability because it's just, like, you can grow up with people who are always just going to be like, yep, like, I'm aware this is this. But then when I speak to people that have clearly never spoken to anyone with a disability or may just have, like, completely fucked up worldviews, to hear the way they will describe another human's body is just it disgusts me because I think like as someone as well who you know has a history of an eating disorder and has grown up with their own personal struggles which are on a completely different level um to what it means to be born with a physical disability or develop one that continues throughout your life it's just like I, I cannot fathom the entitlement people have to say anything about another person's body, particularly when they do not have, like, any experience of what it would be like to exist in that physique. And even within, you know, within my cousin's specific disability, like, there are so many different levels of what it means to have spina bifida because it is, like, it's such an intricate and complex um, condition and the way it manifests, the way it's developed, the way we've seen it develop in him is just like miles different to anyone else um, that we've met with the condition. So it's just like at the end of the day, we we think it's so easy to like project and say whatever we're thinking rather than just asking. And growing up next to him has been the single best just way of learning that lesson because. He is, he's the most patient person on the planet as well, and he actually just could not give a fuck about what people think about him. <laughs> I, like, just water off a duck's back. Like, I sit here, like, clutching at the table, getting ready for a fight, and he's like, oh, I've got better things to do. <laughs> um, Definitely, like, for sure. And I think, you know, I think his attitude of doing that 
is he's further along than me some days because some days I'm also ready to go down for a fight. But it's like, wait, if you fight this right now, are you gonna are you gonna feel good at the end of it? Are you gonna be happy? No. So you have to like you really do have to pick pick your battles and kind of turn the battle like I was saying earlier, not into a battle, but like, can we have a conversation about this? And I like I'm I'm trying so much more as a now an activist, a public figure in the space to not admonish somebody for not knowing. Yeah, they may say fucked up things. But then I try to be like, well, well, why, like, why, why did you say that? Like, not why, like, tell me why, but like, explain to me where that came from. Yeah, so I can show you how the maybe that's hurtful. Um, yeah, so much of the miscommunication ends up coming from a lack of understanding, right? Mm-hmm. And Andrew, to your point earlier, like, I love how you said it's not so much a calling out but a calling in because the more we can bring people's stories to the forefront or the more you can have that conversation with somebody and increase their like understanding of your experience and your life. And also then you understand a little bit more about where they're coming from because most people aren't coming from a a malicious place, right? They might be coming from an ignorant place. Um, They might be coming from a curious place. And sometimes that curiosity is, um, executed in absolutely the wrong way <laughs> but usually it's not coming from a, a intentionally hurtful or malicious place sometimes you run into those special special humans but for the most part people are curious or ignorant and they don't know the, the right way to actually resolve that ignorance or curiosity so I think yeah Andrew to your point the more we can like have that conversation with people and like even for me Bianca as you were saying earlier like I grew up with obviously with Andrew and he was very much like one of the siblings and you know we teased him and riled him just like he riled us and so you grew up with that and sometimes we'll be like that's so mean I'm like is it mean or is it just you just think it's mean because he's also in a wheelchair <laughs> like we would <laughs> we would like you know force him to give us rides on the back of the wheelchair and he'd be like get off we'd be like Come keep going <laughs> like stupid kid shit um but very much one of the kids but when you even when you grow up with that there are certain topics um and certain things that a you forget because you've grown up with it that it's not obvious to other people but then even oh, as you said before like you don't know everything they're all still being conversations with other um disabled people even after having so many conversations and i'll get to a point where i'm like i don't actually know how to ask this question i'm just going to come out with it but it might be yeah. oh, it might be wrong and um and yeah and i think the more that we have those conversations on both sides and um the, the better off we'll kind of all be and hopefully society as a whole will be because we're having those honest conversations and as andrew as you said pulling people in um instead of just sort of calling them off yeah like pushing someone out isn't isn't helpful and i think and that's hard there are moments where like, calling someone out is fucking fun, and it's awesome to be like, I'm going to put you on blast, yeah! But then after, you're like, well, <laughs> it doesn't help anybody. Like, that's, it doesn't make me yeah. feel better to hurt somebody. And if I can, I don't want to be one of those disability activists who moves the needle forward by hurting someone, like, by stabbing someone with it. That isn't, that's not my goal. Is My goal is to try my hardest to bring you in. Now, because the media storm has been so... Craig, I wasn't going to bring this up, but you're a media person, so I feel like I have to ask you this question. So the Sia thing blew up the other day. I'm sure yeah. you saw all about it. You, I'm sure you saw all about it, the story about Sia. Yeah. It's um, wild. I have, I have feelings about it. I wanted to ask you as a media person, like, what do you feel about it? Um, oh, okay. I actually, so I've only seen a few headlines. I actually haven't read into it too deeply, but it's just... It's just like, 
I what gets me is just like how these people have teams and teams and teams. Um, like every single, you know, professional around them and these decisions still get approved. Like, mm. I just, I, and this, what gets me is that, you know, on a corporate level, on a business level, that there was clearly just not enough people in the room who have any experience whatsoever or, like, any concept of how it could possibly be offensive because, heaven forbid, <laughs> anyone considered it went wrong, um, they're speaking up. It was just, like, a knee-jerk reaction to what, what like would have been a fleeting idea or maybe a really well thought out idea but clearly just didn't um <laughs> consider how like a, a complete just a whole community a whole cross section of society would think like that is just fucked up like i mean in contrast with that other movie with um sarah paulson came out the other day with that mm-hmm. people actress called run and she it was a thriller and i Watched it with my friend the other night, and we both were like, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen, because it was a actual disabled per- person in a disabled thriller about disability. And I was like, this is what a movie, this is what a movie about disability should be. So I, like, by contrast, I was like, Sia, what did, like, you had such opportunity to make this really cool, and you let it die. I know, okay. because she says she has, she had um, people on her team with that lived experience, right? Um, like, autistic people who are directing her and yeah she said she had, it seems like such a massive miss she said she had people on the team but the people on the team that she had and apparently she had done three three years of research on autism which feels like okay who, like who, who are you doing the research with and like I, we, I i did further research to find out that she did research with uh, a company called autism or an organization called autism speaks and so I looked into them a bit further to understand more. And they've done things like where they wanted to eradicate autism from the system, that it's the syndrome, that it needs to be removed, like all this horrible stuff. Oh, wow. And I was like, how could you not, how could you have, how could you not have like Googled that for one second to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> like, so it, Oh, God. Like, I feel, I don't, and I especially don't feel bad for her because on Twitter, when people were calling her out the other day, and saying, like, what, you know, why didn't you just hire an autistic person? We're all right here. Like, somebody tweeted her in her DMs and said, I'm an autistic person. Like, you could have hired me. Here's my CV. Here's my, like, my run sheet. And then she said, oh, maybe you're just a bad actor. And I was like, you, that's really, like, you really did that the wrong way. So I don't feel bad for her. I just wanted to ask you, like, as a media person, like, if Nine Honey was like, hey, Bianca, can you do a story on, like, to see a film and make it poppy like what have you oh we never would i mean that's the thing like we're very much because we did cover it um i didn't write that story i actually wonder who did but um yeah no we would never be like oh like see his new film like offends no one there's just there's no space (laughs) like we just actually can't um because legally that would like just be really fucked up um But also, it's just, like, it's also analyzing, I think what I love about where I work is, like, we're very much about the process of why things are the way they are, because naturally, like, as a media person, we can't give an opinion unless we're writing an opinion piece, Um, even though some could question my work has a little bit of an angle to it Uh, (laughs) at times. But, yeah, with that, it's just, like, we would really very much focus being on, like, what's happened, what's been the response, blah, 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 like, 
and go on from there. But I just, I don't feel bad for Sia. I mean, I, like... I, I like it comes also off the back of so many different weeks, so many conversations this year saying like trans people should pay trans like trans actors should play trans people in films. Like every single community has been like we should be putting these people forward because that is how you make the conversations so much more fruitful, society so much safer and representation so much like genuinely better because I can't believe that the bar is literally let's put people who actually have lived experiences in these roles that's where the bar is and I'm just like sometimes I'm mystified I mean it's still not complicated to me now but like I I have to say like five years ago I was approached by a, a movie director who wanted to make a gay film about two two gay disabled guys falling in love they fuck around and I was sent all the scripts and I was asked to consult and they wanted me to be a huge part of this based on conversations that I had had with him and another disabled person had with him. Um, and he asked me to be like be a consultant. And I was like, cool. And so he was like, we have an actor, um, and he he's not disabled, and he wants you to come down to some coffee shop in Toronto and, like, sit with him and, like, do the things. And I remember being really excited about the prospect of having a story on the screen and saying to myself, well, he's not disabled, so, I mean, it's okay. It shouldn't be happening, but... I'll let it go because the story is important. So I can understand, like, why people say, like, it's the story that's important. But I feel like, you know, 2020 has dealt us so many blows Mm. this year. Like, can we just do something a little bit right? Can we just have a story where an actual disabled person is actually telling the story? Yeah, and the conversation has moved on so much in five years, right? If you look back, if that was a few years ago that you were having that and you were still having that kind of niggle, um, where, where we were as a society and in, from an inclusive perspective across all sorts of types of minorities, um, even like a few, two or three years ago to where we are now and what the expectation is from society now has moved on just so exponentially that to for that to happen today is just, I think to everybody is just a bit shock. I think it's a shock, particularly from somebody as big as Sia, who should have known better, who seems like she was putting the right um, measures in place. And then to still have made such a massive misstep just seems, yeah, just seems just shocking. It's like, come on. I'm sorry. I actually I get so angry about this, and I know I'm meant to be objective in everything, but I... It's you don't have to be objective like, on our show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can let you be as mad as you would like. Go, go off. It's fine. No, but it's just, I just think the bar is literally on the floor of, like, what we have to do as professionals. Um, and it's, like, it just, I always just think about, like, every experience I've had in my life as, like, straight, white, able-bodied, like, just every privilege around me other than, you know, aspects of being a woman, but (laughs) that's not what this is about. Um, And I think, like, being in a role where I can, you know, essentially pick and choose, like, who we platform, how we run, like, the the course of the news that day, to then do that irresponsibly is, like, just, it's fucking not good enough. And I'm so sick of people saying, like, you know, oh, but they tried. No, they did not try hard enough. Like, you, there are no consolation prizes in moving towards, like, better representation, equity, and everything. There's absolutely – there's room for error and mistakes, don't get me wrong, but not those kinds. Like, just, just like, flat-out, purely atrocious 
misconstructions of representation. I can't. I actually can't deal with it. I'm pissed off now. I'm never listening to a Sia song again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chandelier was overplayed, and it's all right. Um, <laughs> I also wanted to ask, I'm just thinking about all the media questions that I wanted to ask a media person. So we know that, like, the media and disability has been pretty shit mm. historically. Like, so many of the stories we see, if it's dealing with a disabled person, they put, like, sappy music underneath it, they make it a whole big, like, feel-good, two-minute, like, oh, it's amazing that so-and-so got to go to the prom, and look at their able-bodied friends bringing them to, like, it's really sweet for a second, but it's crap. So, (laughs) like, how do you think that, that media representations from your position as an associate producer, how, like, how do we fix this problem? How do we make the media... I mean, I know how to fix the problem. We have to hire more disabled people. But like, yeah. I, how from you, from your position, how how can the media spin this stuff to still make a really good story, but also to to treat disabled people like the humans that they are, as opposed to like this this thing on the media to be consumed. Yeah, as opposed to like clicks on a page that makes money. At like, yeah. <laughs> if I'm putting it bluntly. I think one thing, like, I've really started doing is just um, taking the first 10 minutes of an interview to be, like, in, like, describe to me in as much or as little detail as you want, like, how you would represent yourself. Um, And with that, we cover, like, sexuality, pronouns, name, pronunciation, which I always struggle with for some reason. People can have, like, the widest names, and I'm still, like, I just can't say it. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, to make sure that we're starting, before I even ask questions about anything that we may be discussing, like, understanding how this person would want to carry themselves and represent themselves, and then going from there. Like, I don't think it's enough to just say, like, okay, what's your name, age, you know, where you're living at the moment, and then, like, tell me about the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to you. <laughs> it's, it's like, not how you would speak to a normal person. Um, they shouldn't speak to let alone a disabled person like anyone you're interviewing like that Um, and it just comes back to the comfort thing and the idea that yes professionally it is my job to interview people and speak to them and get you know the best story or the story that's going to resonate the most but it's also (laughs) under the lens of me being a human being and speaking to someone else and like just I just don't, I've never met anyone I've interviewed, let alone anyone, particularly like with all the stories I've done with disabled people, even with the last story I did for Handy when I spoke to three different incredible people, they were just like, their personalities were so different. If I would then write each and every one of those stories in the same way, like you'd be like, what the fuck? Like, did she even speak to me? And I think <laughs> that's what it is. Like we just, get really fixated on visuals and I I don't have any more time for it. And I know a lot of the generation of young writers are like, we actually just don't care because we've been so exhausted by having the same figure dictate what it means to look like in our society and growing up in a world that, you know, you walk through the streets and that's not what your world looks like. You just yeah. start to get really annoyed and yeah. <laughs> a little bit shitty. Yeah. Um, to pivot back to our amazing media coverage of Handy, yeah, because you know that's what this whole podcast is about. Uh, how how amazing we are. Uh. But but <laughs> yeah. So so how do, when you 
when you picked up the story and when like, the story when you like landed on your desk, or did you did you seek it out? I don't know the full. Anyway, when it came to you, how did yes. you feel about it? You received one of our gorgeous magazines, didn't you? I did. Yes, and it's hanging. It's on my desk now. I love it, and that purple ribbon that it came with as well. It's just been an absolute delight. It's very nice. And um, the eggplant. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, I love it. But um, I actually, but so I should also say, like, one of the most important things in the media is having a really clued in um, team, and my editors are incredible. Like, they, they are just, they're two women that genuinely care about, simultaneously care about absolutely everything and nothing at once. Like, nothing <laughs> is ever off limits for them. Um, so one of them actually sent an email that was sent to us from Handy, and they're like, oh, I think, like, you would find this really interesting. And I'm such a serial email deleter by admission. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, great. I will read this. And when I did, I was just like, this is, I mean, not even on a personal sense, you know, with everything that I've experienced or I've ever read about and, you know, gone through in my life, I was just like, to see a company that – actually just wants to offer a conversation that has been so widely neglected is one, one of the most interesting things I've seen in a long time. And two, just one of the most honest and raw and cool. And like, I know that if I were to speak to you, I would actually have a conversation and not just like, this is why we're so amazing, which granted happened, but it happened very naturally. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just, like, the connection that I instantly felt from reading the way Handy, like, represented themselves and everything that you're about really resonates. And I think it really resonates particularly through, again, as I was saying, like, the lens of sex and intimacy. Like, people are the most vulnerable and people are most of the time their most authentic selves. And you see that leap off a page and it offers some of the most insightful conversations. And I truly, like, I regard... The last feature I wrote on Handy is, like, one of the greatest privileges of my life because speaking. No, I do. And I'm, oh, my God, I'm getting emotional. That's so embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I got this on podcast. (laughs) Um, I just. Surprise, this video we're going to air. I've been, like, moving around this entire time, um, shuffling. Um, Yeah, no, I just, the conversations that I had there, particularly, like, came to me in a week where I was just, like, having this fucking worst week, like, covering death after death with coronavirus, like, on routes that I just get so upset about, and, like, to then hear three individuals be like, yep, this is how I have sex, and this is why I love to be alive, I was like, oh, thank God, like, this is just such a beautiful story, and this makes me just think of, like, all the times anyone I've ever spoken to has felt like they don't have a place in this world or they don't have a comfort. We see voices that Handy is platforming that like just really wants to make people feel seen and heard. And I like, it is a privilege of mine to be able to even have, even have any capacity to let that shine further. Wow. Amazing. Well, it's a privilege of ours to like, obviously to work with you when we saw um the articles come out like it's just yeah it hits home for us as well because it's not it's got it's no easy feat to get covered right and to find these stories and to get them 
um, and to help them uh, have more space and, and air uh, in the world. And so, yeah, working with people like yourselves who are so like connected into that same sort of um, vision um, and like-minded has just been, yeah, you end up finding the right people, right? Who have the same mind as you on these types of journeys and um, seeing how you guys can help each other as well has just been, yeah, awesome. And I will say you're one, of the, you're one of the most excited journalists to reach out. And we, were, we were like, want to do a thing? You're like, yeah, sure, great. Like, <laughs> and I mean, I'm like, hi, I'm here, I'm back. <laughs> I am, I am just excited. I mean, this is the thing, like, so many people in my industry can get quite jaded sometimes because it is tough at the end of the day, just like waking up every morning and hearing, like, these are the worst things that are happening in the world. It's like, cool. Um <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. But to then know that, like, part of your job is just, is just like, making conversations that I wish I had heard 10 years ago or I wish, like, so many people had heard when they were growing up because it would never have made you feel like you need to doubt yourself is truly an honour. And it's never going to be about me. It's always about the voices. But knowing that, like, I did that, and I was there, and I got to speak to these people is unbelievable. Like, gets me out of bed in the morning. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, did you have any, as a media person, my last question to you will be, do you have any questions as a media person about how to, about, about disability, anything you didn't know, anything you were curious about, anything, mm-hmm. any burning disability questions that you were like, oh, no, I can't ask that one, that was a chance. <laughs> Come on I, in. You know what I? You know what we need actually to help meet people with disability is just a list of like conditions, pronunciations. Because sometimes the <laughs> amount of times someone's texted me, they're like, "This is my condition," and it's like forty-seven letters long. I'm like, "Oh my god, fuck!" Okay, I've got to quickly like type this <laughs> in, figure out how to pronounce it. What are the acronyms? And then and then I get there and I'm like sweating, and then I'll just be like, "Look, like." Even my doctor has issues with it. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so we will formulate that. The other thing, I, it's the same question. Like, how do we do better? And like, I know, I know where we're going wrong. But there's, I assume there's like a million and different ways that we're fucking up. So I mean, in a, in a twenty second like blip, I would say we need to hi- we need to hire disabled people in front of the camera, behind the camera, directing the camera. We need yeah. people who are writing the news stories that are disabled who, which is what kind of what I love about my job at Handy is that I get to look over copy and I get to look over, like, everything we send out. And, like, Heather will send me, like, 2 a.m. text. Like, oh, my God, we have to send it out tomorrow. Does this look all right? What do you think? What's, like, I really, and I, I enjoy that because that way at least we know that it's being read by a real live disabled person who, I, and I, sometimes I don't get it right, but at least it's sent to me and I yeah. can, like, use my kind of knowledge of the disability space to be like, mm, how are people going to feel about that? So we need people doing that with every story that's produced about a disabled person because, and it's hard because some people with disabilities love the feel-good stories and some people with disabilities are like, these stories are the worst, fix it. So like, it is really hard to, to walk that line, pun intended, because I'm not walking anywhere, but... but <laughs> we all that line. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's really tough to like, to straddle that line and that I can do but it's hard to do that there it is there it is it's hard to do that when when like the community is so vast and so sometimes polarized on certain things so I think 
really, I love what you do when you enter when you enter a subject's home and you say like, "Give me ten minutes about you." Like that really lays the groundwork for you to for that particular story to figure out how to do it. And if somebody writes you in later at night, honey, and it's like, "Oh my God, that story was the worst! How dare you use this stuff?" You can say, "Well, no, I talked to Joni, and Joni said I wanted they yeah. wanted me to use this language, and so that's what I did." And I think we have to be more. I think the disabled community has to be not super accepting of everything, but being willing to come and come to you after and say, hey, Nine Honey, great story on X, but can we talk about this? As opposed to like, oh my God, you're the worst. Like, yeah. I think it just needs to be a conversation. And also, we got to drop all egos at the door. Yeah, like, totally. if someone's going to tell me my writing's bad or I've covered something wrong, this is probably wrong. Like, I'm not the best writer on the planet, so... <laughs> Just gonna acknowledge it. <laughs> yes. Um. Well, I had fun sitting now with you. I'm out of questions. Heather, you need? No, I think this has been awesome. I think I guess maybe I'm not sure if this is even. We can always cut this if it doesn't quite work. Um, within the story, but I guess there's probably a lot of people with disabilities out there who, um want to see more representation. I know a lot of that we had spoken to, and until we start to see that change, those numbers probably only going to get higher. Um, are there any, like, tips or pieces of advice you'd have for people who are maybe doing awesome things in their own right or who are, you know, everyday people with disabilities who want to see that covered in terms of how they can get involved or make a difference or start to feel like they're um, positively influencing um, the media and increasing representation? Yes, please reach out to me at any time you can. Like I read every single, I read every single social media DM I get. I'm so bad with my emails, but like if someone messages me, I'm there. So please reach out. And you know what? At the end of the day, like it just even this conversation reminds me like how much more I need to do in terms of like going into these spaces, making it known that like I care, I'm here, I want to platform these voices, your voices. Um, and being more just out there and, like, involved. I mean, we have so many different ways to connect, and yet sometimes I will still sit in a dark room and, like, stare at a wall and introspect. They're like, wow, why don't I speak to anyone? No. Um, I think we're all guilty of that. We're just yeah. I'm here with my phone. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I'm like, why isn't anyone calling me? Because I have not made myself available. Um, but, yeah, it's just it's all about you know, own your truth, say what you say, mean it with your full chest, and you will get noticed. You will. You always will. Like, I'm constantly. I got told the other day, my friend told me I have 16 hours average screen time a day. A day. Yeah, I, mean, I was like, probably I all guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, we take an hour for, like, feeding, but a lot of time that's in front of the computer and or the, or the phone. We're yeah. here. We're, I'm looking, I promise. We're um, in the matrix. Um, do you think that there's any potential or possibility, I was just thinking of off the back of what you, just, what you said just now, of like, you know, maybe in tandem or it could be with Black Night Honey or not, and this is a total random idea, so it's fine if it's not a good one. Um, I'm guilty of that all the time. Um, <laughs> but like, what if we looked to pull together some form of like monthly or quarterly like mini event where we were able to find topics and conversations we felt not just about sexuality, but just within the space of disability, perhaps, um, 
and all different types of walks of life disabilities and pull out some of those themes or conversations that we feel are kind of still in the shadows or aren't being had and get people, invite people to both um, participate in them, but also in the actual discussion themselves, but also join in and listen if they just want to educate themselves more. Do you think that there's anything in that style of a forum these days? Absolutely. I know we actually do this um, with, we do this with autism a lot. One of our like senior writers um, is an expert in this field and she's actually like quite an activist and a pioneer in it in the respect that she's like been to court and everything and like challenged the DHS. DHS? Is that what it's called in Australia? I don't know. The health services. (laughs) (laughs) Me inspires a lot. But yeah, and she actually hosts like I think every two months events similar to what you suggested. So I'd love to broaden that uh, scope. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. We'd love to be involved. And yeah, it doesn't obviously doesn't always have to come down to sexuality and dating. Um, it just seems like there's so many conversations out there that um waiting to be had and I think people without disabilities like we were saying before like are are curious and yeah. the only way that we're going to fulfill that curiosity and sort of bridge the ignorance as well is to pull people in and have those conversations and invite people to learn and and ask questions and and talk yeah I don't think ignorance is a bad thing in those cases I think it's actually my favorite some of my favorite conversations that I've had in doing this podcast and in doing this stuff and in just doing what I do is when people ask me really, really quote unquote ignorant questions or quote unquote stupid questions because just wild questions. You get to see like, Oh wow. Let me course correct you there. Where did that, where, okay. Where did that come from? All right. And you don't like, they don't mean any malice by it. They just genuinely don't know. Oh my god, I know. It's like whenever we speak about feminism in my family, I'm Greek by the way, so it's like very patriarchal. I'm just like, here we go. Education time. <laughs> um so Bianca, how can the people if they want to reach out to you and they want to have a they have a story, whether that's in Australia, whether that's from somewhere else in the world, they want to reach out to you and be like, I want media representation on this, should we have a chat? How do they reach out to you? Ooh, okay. Reach out to me on my Instagram, which is at farm a kiss, like like literal farm a for the letter, and then kiss is like huh. Um, <laughs> or email me, and I don't know if I should say my email. We can just write it on the. Show I can notes. put it in the show notes. I have it. I'll put in the show notes. Because I'd, I'd like I'd say it, and then people would be like, "What? <laughs> How do you spell that?" <laughs> um, but yeah, no, please get in touch. Like I. I don't shut up naturally, as you can tell. So I also don't stop typing and contacting people. And it's just, it's literally just all about finding it and then having that conversation and going from there. Because the amount of times, like, the story's right in front of your eyes and I'm just, like, looking elsewhere is so annoying. (laughs) My biggest flaw. It's all good. Well, Bianca, we had so much fun today. Uh, It was so fun to sit down with you and to talk about everything everything media related to disability and to just have a chat about that with you was really nice. And uh, again, you're the most excited journalist I've ever spoken to about anything. So it was great. <laughs> oh, thank you both for having me. And honestly, oh, for coming. the work you're doing, like it just, every single time I speak to someone who is making a better world for the person I like, I wish I had 10 years ago or the things I wish I heard 10 years ago, 
just is such a privilege and an honor, and it's meant the absolute best. And I am so excited. I'm so excited to hear this. I'm so excited for the future of everything. Amazing. Well, Bianca, thank you again so much, and we'll talk to you. I'm surely we'll see one of our handy things with your byline very soon. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Thank you. We'll send you this uh, podcast when it comes out as well. Fabulous. I'm so excited. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.